you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get it. Crossover episode, Locked On LSU and Locked On Mizzou, Matt Moscona, John Miller from Locked On Mizzou, Tigers and Tigers this week. Uh, it's uh, new territory for LSU and Mizzou. First time that the two teams are ever going to play at Faro Field. John, uh, how are you, man? First and foremost, all good? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing down and how are you doing down in hurricane country, sir? Yeah, that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, we're all keeping our eye on Hurricane Delta. Um, you, you prepare for the worst, you hope for the best, and here's hoping that's how it plays out this week. But we already have news, right? It's, it's Wednesday morning as we're recording. And the SEC has just formally announced that LSU and Mizzou, the game has moved from Baton Rouge to Mizzou. Why don't you fill us in on what you know from your end? Well, yeah, the news just broke here just before we started recording. And Missouri and LSU, like you said, officially going to be played at Faro Field now, 11 a.m. on an ESPN platform to be determined, according to the league office at this point. And as far as you out there looking for tickets, possibly, well, obviously – going to be all Mizzou tickets, going to be basically the same procedure as how the athletic department doled out season tickets at the beginning of the season. So my family and I, we were fortunate enough to get four seats. If you have an allotment of four or you have an allotment of two, basically you're going to have to take that allotment and you'll have until tomorrow, that'll be Thursday at 2 p.m. to make that decision and then everything else will go in uh, to the common public sale after that point. So what's the capacity for the game Saturday? It's going to be about 11,700, which is the same it was for the Alabama game in week one as well. So you were there for the Bama game. What was the, the vibe like in the stadium uh, at Mizzou? It's, I know it's so weird everywhere. You know, LSU, sure. I think, had a 25,000 range for, um, for their opener against Mississippi State. But uh, it feels kind of, kind of sterile, almost spring game-like. What was it like there for the, the Bama game in the opener? Well, yeah, sterile is a, is a good way to put it, and certainly, you know, surreal is a word we've used for the last yeah. few months, and that certainly applied there as well. The one thing I thought is, well, you know, it is 11,700 people, but it should be the most diehard of the 11,700. Unfortunately, in the Alabama game, the tide just completely dominated from the opening kick, so, you know, we didn't really get to see how much noise people were going to make, frankly, but Obviously, with, you know, 25 is a lot more than, than, you know, just under 12. So, I imagine, obviously, it would have been a better atmosphere at LSU. But, you know, what I thought was interesting is Jim Sterk, uh, the Mizzou athletic director, pointed out that uh, Mizzou and LSU actually share a common bye week in October. But they just thought it was more important, they being the league and the athletic departments, thought it was more important to just get this game played considering all the uncertainty with COVID that's still out there. Yeah, I can tell you from an LSU perspective, the the common bye week would not have been appealing to move because that LSU's bye week is traditionally that weekend before Alabama. So LSU and Alabama, they always share a a bye week so that both teams – I mean, this has been for more than a decade now, so they have the week off leading up to the LSU-Bama game. So from an LSU perspective, I can tell you Scott Woodward went behind closed doors in those meetings and said, we don't want to give up that bye week. We, we'd, I'm, I'm certain he said we'd rather go play it at Mizzou. And something else, John, I'll tell you, this, is, this isn't new for LSU. Um, they've been through this scenario plenty of times. Look like at 2005, they played a, a home game, air quotes, at Arizona State when Katrina came. They played a game on Monday night against Tennessee that year. 
Um, in 2015, LSU had a game against South Carolina that was scheduled in Columbia. And that was when Columbia had the flooding, and that became a, a South Carolina home game at Tiger Stadium. Uh, and a year later, LSU and Florida had that very public fiasco where they were you know, back and forth over Hurricane Matthew and what the, the reschedule of that game would be. And you know, what came of that, I'm not sure if you remember it, but you know, LSU, LSU was willing to, to do it, make basically any contingency to play that game against Florida. And Florida's AD, Jeremy Foley, said, if we can't play it in Gainesville with fans at its regular scheduled time, then we're not playing. And it became a very public fight. And Greg Sankey was a, a, a new young commissioner at the point. And it became a very ugly fiasco publicly. And one of the things that happened subsequent to that is the league presidents voted and said, look, we give the commissioner now supreme executive power to make a final decision if a situation like this arises to avoid any public you know, bickering or, or fiasco like what happened in 2016 with LSU Florida. So my guess is, Jim Sterk, Scott Woodward, uh, Greg Sankey all, all got behind closed doors and realized, look, we're going to do this amicably. And, you know, it's been a wacky year with only five home games. I'm sure LSU hated to give up, you know, sure. home game fans. But I think we, you, it sounds like you agree. I think we all agree. This, this, this was the path of least resistance. Go, go play the game this weekend as scheduled. Play it at Mizzou. It's going to be a limited crime. I don't know that – I mean, John, you tell me if you disagree. I don't, I don't know necessarily that the, the setting or the crowd is going to alter this game in particular so much. I mean, for LSU, it stinks that they got to travel three straight weeks. But I know they'd rather play this game this weekend, a week before Florida, maintain their bye week. I mean, it just – it really does make the most sense. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, from LSU's perspective, just from a, from a competitive standpoint, obviously, you'd rather – keep that Missouri game on the schedule and keep that bye week, just like you say. And frankly, I applaud both athletic departments, especially the LSU athletic department, for being willing to move the game to Columbia. I mean, and it does just make the most sense, obviously. Not perfect circumstances for anybody. And, And speaking of that, do you have any sort of feeling on how disruptive this would be for not just LSU, obviously, but any football program as far as oh my gosh, we got to start traveling all of a sudden. I mean, they didn't have any plans for this, like certainly five, six days ago or something. Do you have any feel for that at all? So I think it's, it's a much bigger deal for the athletic administrators than it is for the team. I mean, if you're at Ogeron, you go to your team today and you say, or, or they knew yesterday, guys, we're, we're, it's going to be a road game. So prepare as we would have prepared normally. We're just going to be traveling on Friday instead of sleeping at Lod Cook on LSU's campus. So I think for the administrators, finding hotel rooms, arranging travel, you know, airfare, buses, all of that, you know, that's a much bigger deal. And financially, they'll have to see how that works out. I remember back in 2016, um, LSU hosted that South Carolina home game, or 2015, excuse me, I keep using air quotes, home game. And essentially, every, every bit of revenue they generated paid for their expenses, and then everything that was the net proceed went to to South Carolina so my assumption is that would be the same arrangement here LSU will have its travel all those arrangements paid for Mizzou will pay for whatever expenses it has for ticket takers and concession workers etc you know security to host a, a game there in Columbia and then whatever's left I'm certain would, will be LSU's because it'll be up an LSU home game and this I may, this is probably of interest to your fans as well the, the you know LSU scheduled to go to Columbia in 2023 
my assumption is that game is going to maintain is going to remain a, a Mizzou home game. Um, I keep referencing South Carolina, but you know LSU, South Carolina's coming to Baton Rouge this year. So back in 2015, a lot of people asked the question: Would the 2020 South Carolina game be moved to Columbia? And the answer is no, because that's still just you're not going to shuffle the. It's a domino effect. It's almost like Jenga, right? You move the one block off the scheduling structure, the whole thing could could topple. So it just made the most sense just to keep it as is. So it's going to be a. It, I mean, it's a bummer for for LSU to lose the the home game in in Baton Rouge, but. Like we said, it's just it's one of those things that happens. You chalk it up and, and you move forward. So, hey, what, let's let's not get a quick break. Come back and we'll talk about the actual game itself because there's some really interesting stuff going under center in Columbia. So we'll talk about that. It is a Locked On LSU and Locked On Mizzou crossover episode brought to you by Built Go. Built Go is the solution to help you break through your wall. If you have that two o'clock feeling every day, if it's a mental or physical wall. Break through it with Go every day. It's a one-and-a-half-ounce package that you can put in your briefcase, you can put it in your backpack, whatever. If you need energy gel, it's the best one on the market. If it's before a workout, if it's in the middle of your day, if it's to get you jump-started in the morning, except you're not going to have that crash that so often comes with the caffeine shots or the caffeine uh, drinks. Try Built Go. Go to builtgo.com. Built Geo. Builtgo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED and get 30% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off at builtgo.com. Builtgo.com. Let's go. Rolling along. Crossover edition locked on LSU and locked on Mizzou. I'm Matt. He's John Miller. All right. Uh, so now we know the game's going to be in Columbia. Let's talk about the actual game itself. And Big news this week with Eli Drinkwitz. He's making a change under center. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, to start the season, Sean Robinson, transfer from TCU, former four-star player, pretty decent high school resume under his belt. Obviously transferred to Mizzou, started against Bama in week one. But you know what? If Connor Basilak, the backup, who played sparingly last season, but showed some flashes at the end of the year, including a drive against Georgia and a first half against Arkansas before he ended up tearing his knee on sort of an awkward slide, just an ACL injury. But, you know, to me, to my eyes, there's always been just something about Basilak. He has a certain calmness about him and just, you know, I hate the phrase arm talent, but there's just something about the way the ball comes out of the kid's hands. He's just got it. You can tell. And, you know, I think part of the reason he didn't start probably was the recovery from that knee injury. But, you know, part of you does question like, gee, why wasn't this kid starting from the beginning? Because honestly, against Tennessee, once he came in the second quarter, it was obvious he was the guy. And it was obvious after the game that he had to be the starter next week and frankly, the rest of the season in my mind. So what about... um... And look, I've seen Sean Robinson. I know I saw him play TCU. So it feels like you're going from more dual threat guy to a more prototypical pocket passer. Um, and, and maybe that makes sense, considering if you watched LSU season over against Mississippi State, it might make sense to have someone that could sit in the pocket and maybe sling it over the top if that's what they're looking to do. Yeah, I think there's there's something to that. But frankly, just Basilak was just the more effective player because those runs against those quarterback design runs – against Alabama and Tennessee were, were totally ineffective for the most part. So, you know, it, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that Basilak was the better player. I mean, frankly, the stuff that they had designed for Robinson wasn't working. You know, it was interesting. You, you said 
LSU, you know, they got some yards thrown on them by Mississippi State, obviously. What did you make of this past weekend when Arkansas beat the Bulldogs 21 to 14? Obviously, you know, the, the comparative matchup thing's overrated, but what did you just make of that? Honestly, John, it, I wasn't totally surprised. Um, I actually, I actually called that game on my radio show because, because this is the reason why. I think Arkansas played a very inspired effort week one against Georgia, and they're obviously fundamentally more sound. And if you've watched Mike Leach teams over the years, and if you watch Mississippi State, State, quite frankly, you know what to expect. Um, Leach runs an offense where they're going to have those days like they had against LSU, but similarly there's going to be days where when your quarterback isn't smart with the football and they're not running like a finely you know, tuned machine, they're going to look ugly on offense, which they were. I mean, a pick six in that game was really the difference. So you had a really inspired effort from Arkansas, and they had the benefit of watching the game film against LSU to know what not to do, which is LSU largely played man coverage without Derek Stingley because they thought they can go man up on state's receivers, and you had a bunch of young guys just get beat over the top, and LSU flat got outcoached. I mean, Bo Pelini, Ed Ogeron did not adjust at any point during that game, and it cost them. And I think what you saw was you had a really good – I mean, you all know Barry Odom. Uh, who's defensive coordinator now at Arkansas, he's a really good defensive mind. I think he looked at that game film against you know, for the LSU game and said, we're, we're going to play soft zone coverage. We're going to make him throw it into pockets repeatedly over and over again. We think he's going to make mistakes, and, and they did. I, I think State is going to be a roller coaster, you know, ebbs and flows, because that's what Mike Leach has been really his whole career, barring, you know, the, the, the dynamic season that they had in 2008 when he had Crabtree there at Texas Tech. They're going to beat some teams they have no business beating, and they're going to lose games that are head-scratchers. That's just what the Mike Leach era has been and always will be as long as he's a college football coach. You mentioned there that uh, Derek Stingley was back in your defensive backfield. He sat out in week one, correct? Yeah, so he had a little a, a medical issue the night before the game, went to the hospital, but he was back and healthy week two against Vanderbilt, and they, they expect he's going to be fine. So, so to that vein, is there anything from that Mississippi State game or just anything in the first couple weeks on the LSU defensive side that maybe you think Missouri can exploit at all with a, a guy – again, a guy I kind of have some promise with the quarterback. Now, the receivers, that's another discussion. So, I think, I think the mistake a lot of teams are going to make is they're going to look at that Mississippi State which, a game, which is – a fundamental outlier in every way and assume that's how you attack, attack LSU, which is just not the case. Um, there was no Derek Stingley, and that caused a domino effect in the defensive backfield where nickelbacks were playing boundary corner. A, a guy who was a, tr- a grad transfer had been on campus for two weeks, ended up starting. They had a kid who had had a meniscus tear and surgery and had missed two weeks, wasn't even preparing to play. He ended up playing a majority of the snaps. It was a, it was a very... It was a very strange I – mean, this isn't an excuse. I mean, LSU got, got beat, they got outplayed, they got outcoached. It was a very strange, perfect storm that unfolded personnel-wise, coaching-wise, the opponent, everything therein. The real way to attack LSU is going to be running the football. Um, now, LSU does get Glenn Logan back this week, who was a starting defensive lineman a year ago who missed the first two games. But look, Vandy ran the ball for 182 yards against LSU. Now, they lost 30 because of sacks, et cetera, but – Vandy had success running the football. State didn't try to run the football. I mean, they, they threw it 60 times. I think they had nine yards rushing in the ballgame. The real way where LSU is vulnerable is at their defensive line as they figure out what that rotation is going to look like and who they can really establish and trust in their defensive front seven. 
there there are yards to be had against LSU by running the football if you have a physical offensive line and a talented back. I, I don't know if Larry Roundtree is that guy, but if I'm Eli Drinkwitz, I'm not going into this game thinking I'm trying to beat LSU over the top because you know you're playing with fire if you're throwing at Stingley and those cats because they're liable to turn one around on you. I'm saying, can I shorten this game and establish the run? Well, I think Larry Roundtree has run really well so far, and certainly he's you know, top five or so in, in among Missouri all-time leading rushers. So uh, I think that's a uh, – you made a really good point there because I think after the first week, I think most people would assume, ooh, this defensive backfield might be vulnerable. And, you know, I didn't see that entire game. Obviously, it was going, I believe, the same time as the Missouri game. But from what I saw – you said they got beat over the top a lot. I saw a lot of crossing routes just over and over again against that man coverage. And like you say, I just didn't see any adjustments from, from Bo Pelini or Ed Orgeron. There weren't any. Yeah. And that, that, was, that was a legit problem. And maybe You could argue that maybe you know, they weren't prepared to play zone. They hadn't practiced it. But, that's, again, that's just coaching. I mean, that, was a, like, that, was a, that game was tied in the fourth quarter. Despite everything that happened, you were still tied at 34 halfway through the fourth quarter. And – you got the ball back with a chance to take the lead and went three and out. And, and Mississippi State scored 10 unanswered. LSU's defense was gassed. But I'm, I'm telling you, that is going to be the anomaly. You will look back at this season, that will be the statistical outlier. For teams that have success against LSU, it's going to be your ability to, to line up and run the football at a, an inexperienced defensive front. And better to get them early in the season than late in the season if they start to come into their own and figure out that rotation. Um, what about uh, – uh, Mizzou's offensive line. Anything of note there? Well, frankly, that's just a, a group that has, considering their expectations, to my eyes, has actually performed okay uh, because that was a group that performed really, really poorly last season and very disappointingly so. I think most observers thought that Missouri would be, that would be a strength was their line last season. So in that vein, you lost at least one guy, their left tackle, Yasir Durant, now on the Kansas City Chiefs roster. And there was two other guys who at least got looks by NFL teams. Not sure exactly what their status is. But that, just on its face, plus they've had some a little bit of trouble with COVID here and there on that position. So just a lot of inexperience. And, and in that vein, considering that, I think they've done okay. They certainly haven't been world beaters by any means. But for the most part, the pocket's been okay, and, and, you know, Larry Roundtree has had some decent room to run. I mean, again, nothing to write home about, but I thought that that, that line could have been a sieve at one point in the preseason. The one thing that's for certain is in a very weird year with opt-outs, with COVID, with the lack of a true offseason, with an all-SEC schedule, Every week really is a learning experience. We're learning more about each team every week as the season goes along. So when we wrap up, let's flip the field, talk about the LSU offense and new quarterback Miles Brennan against that Missouri defense. Wrapping up, crossover edition, Locked on LSU and Locked on Mizzou. He's John Miller. I'm Matt Moscona, and glad you're here. Please subscribe to both podcasts if you haven't done so yet. Of course, Locked on SEC. If you do love the SEC and you want SEC news, you can get it on the Locked on SEC podcast every single day. All right, John, so – uh, let's flip the field. LSU, of course, is replacing an historic offense, which literally scored more points in 2019 than any offense in the history of college football, which is a mouthful. Everyone keeps wondering, okay, was that the statistical outlier for LSU, or is this the new norm? Missouri's always had great rush ends. If it's Michael Sam or Alden Smith, or we all know the list. Are those guys there on this Missouri defense? 
Uh, quite simply, no, they, they aren't. And frankly, they've been missing for a few seasons now, and that's been a problem. But you know what? In spite of that fact, Missouri had a really good defense in 2019, maybe even better than what the statistics said because of, frankly, how disappointing the offense was and how little time they got off the field because of that bad offense. But you know what? The theory was when Eli Drinkwitz was hired this offseason that he's an offensive mind that would come in, shake up the offense, and he basically retained his entire defensive staff from the previous Odom administration, including defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. But you know what? You can maybe give him a pass against Alabama, but we were really outclassed against the Tennessee Volunteers, especially up front. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, all the, the Missouri defensive linemen that had come out maybe in the, in the previous seasons to the Barry Odom regime during the Pinkle era. And again, it's just been not there. And that's caused Missouri to have to, frankly, bring, bring pressure a lot more, bring extra men, bring, bring blitzers. And obviously, that's going to leave you vulnerable at the second level and on the back end. So, frankly, so far, it's been a big disappointment defensively. We were hoping that that part, that side of the football would buoy us a little bit as we transfer into a completely new offense. Where, uh, if LSU is looking to attack Mizzou, where's the, where's the vulnerability? Would you expect LSU's athletes out on the edge to have more success or running the ball between the tackles? Right now, if I had to pick, I'd say probably running between the tackles, just running in general. I, we just haven't shown a lot of resistance. I mean, really, Nick Bolton is an excellent player. He's played very well so far this season. But frankly, you know, at times against Tennessee, he was the only guy there on the second level. And if he wasn't there to make the play, it was big yardage for the volunteers. So if anything, and Missouri is also really, really young at corner too as well. But you know what? Those guys have actually done okay so far to my eyes. Again, nothing to totally write home about, but they've done okay. Meanwhile, safety, probably one of the the strengths of the Mizzou team. So yeah, I mean, not that LSU can't throw the ball on Mizzou, but yeah, I'd say they're more vulnerable to the run right now, actually. You know, the I don't think any, there, there's been this ongoing conversation all offseason. It's almost impossible, right? You come off this year with Joe Burrow where he literally had – I mean, threw for 60 touchdowns, Pat. It's, it's – the absurdity of what happened last year just knows no bounds. I mean, it's – all the guys that, that went to the draft – I mean, you're seeing it. Guys that are playing on Sundays and Dom at Clyde edwards and Justin Jefferson and, you know, Jamar Chase will be a first-round pick. That I think we're realizing and, – and history is going to be very kind to that 2019 LSU team because when all those guys go on to have great pro careers, you're going to look back and say, man, they had all those cats. So the big question was, are, we know it's going to be different, but are they still going to look similar? And despite the fact that LSU had such a great passing offense a year ago, they were actually pretty balanced, man. They were 52-48 pass run. I mean, they, Ed, Ed wants to be 50-50, and that number this last weekend at Vanderbilt was right around a 252-48. So I know there's this perception that LSU wants to throw, throw, throw now, but they are going to run the ball as well and make sure they mix and match and balance the two. Something worth keeping an eye on. A week ago, LSU's left tackle, Dale Rosenthal, did not play against Vanderbilt. They started Cameron Wire, who uh, a redshirt sophomore, played really well, or a true sophomore, played really well. Um, but they think they're going to have Rosenthal back this week. But they did lose Ed Ingram, who's their left guard, late in the Vanderbilt game, and it's unlikely he's going to play. So that's worth watching. Ed Ingram is probably, as far as like a draft perspective, the best LSU talent that they have. He, he'll he of this group will probably be the highest drafted guy. Um, 
And so Charles Turner is likely to take Ed Ingram's spot at left guard if he can't go. Turner came in as a center, but he was like 250 pounds. I mean, really light. So he spent the past two years trying to get bigger and bigger, and he hasn't played. So it's going to be interesting to see what the left side of that offensive line looks like. Um, Chris Curry did not play last week against Vanderbilt due to injury. They're expecting to have him back. Uh, but John Emery, who was a, a five-star number one running back in the country a couple of years ago, I was a freshman last year, didn't really play much as a freshman. He had his breakout game this last week against Vanderbilt, rushed for 100 yards and a score. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use that running back rotation of maybe if John Emery becomes more of a, of a lead back and they lean on him a little more. He's, he's the one guy of the three running backs they'll use that really has the game-breaking potential. The others are, are very strong between the tackles runner. Emery's the home run hitter. So he wears number four. Keep an eye on him. He could be one of those guys who, who could potentially tilt the field for LSU offensively. Well, yeah, as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I've really enjoyed the uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire experience so far. I really have, and especially I like him. I'm, I'm a big fan of a running back who can catch the ball. Is John Emery that kind of a player, too, or anybody else for LSU? Yeah, so that's a really good question because the knock on Emery a year ago, why he didn't play much, was ball security. He fumbled a lot in practice, and he struggled to catch the ball. And, the, I mean, this is a little interesting. They – LSU charts everything, like each side of the field, all the, all the catches, everything. And they determined that Emory actually had a vision issue in one eye. So this offseason, he actually had LASIK surgery hmm. to fix his vision. And so far, so good. So watch ball security and watch John Emory as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They, they did try a dump-off screen to Ty Davis Price in the opener on the first possession of the season, and he dropped it. I mean, it's... If there is another angle worth keeping an eye on, it's the drops. I mean, a year ago, LSU's receivers didn't drop anything. They, they've all had, had their turn this year where they've dropped passes. And they, look, they've got talent. I mean, you know, Terrace Marshall's a legit number one, and he's got a shot to be a, a first-round pick this year. After that, it's kind of been a revolving door of who's next. Is it Jare Jenkins or John Trey Kirkland or you know, young guys like Kayshawn Booty, who is a five-star? I mean, I, I don't expect anybody to remember those names or to know those names. Just know LSU's recruited a bunch of really big, fast, talented, athletic guys to play receiver, and they're kind of figuring out who's next after Terrace Marshall, who wears number six. You know, it's funny, to your point there, doing a little research, I remember Justin Jefferson, I remember Jamar Chase, I remember Thaddeus Moss. I didn't even really remember Terrence Marshall. I was like, oh, he caught 13 touchdowns last year. That is absolutely absurd for maybe, so for your, I don't know, three or four right, wide receiver, essentially. That's, that's nuts. So for perspective on that, the LSU single-season receiving touchdown record was held by Dwayne Bowe, who you remember played for the Chiefs, was, was, was a first-round draft pick. Dwayne Bowe in 2006, catching passes from Jamarcus Russell, who was the number one overall pick in the draft, <laughs> caught 12 touchdowns. Wow. Terrace Marshall a year ago at 13. Terrace Marshall, LSU's third-leading receiver, broke the single-season touchdown receiving record mark, and he was third on the team. That's, that's how third last year was. Like, you just can't. And I don't think anybody is trying to compare this team to last year because it's just collectively I think LSU fans have taken 2019, put it in a box with a ribbon on it, put it on the shelf, and they'll admire it forever. But they yeah, also – As you should. That, that is not the standard to which anything should be judged because it's never going to look like that again. Right. So – well, well LSU, that, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say to that point, I mean, I was actually down in New Orleans when they played uh, Oklahoma in the semis. That was a, just a fun experience, but not in the stadium, just in New Orleans down there 
having a good old time, but as you do in New Orleans. But anyway, just to that point, what's what's your take been on Miles Brennan so far? I know, I know Ed Orgeron kind of said, oh, you know, in week one, he started drifting to his right a little too much, almost like Baker Mayfield a year ago, right? So what, what is your take on, on Miles so far? Miles is a college football outlier. You know, he's the talented kid who was elite 11, who stayed four years and waited his turn. Typically doesn't happen with quarterbacks in college football. And I think everybody's really pulling for him. But you also recognize just because you've been on campus for four years doesn't mean you're, you're ready to play game one. So I think for Miles against State, boy, he took seven sacks, and a lot of them were on him, you know, holding the ball, being indecisive. What they really wanted to see week one to week two was Miles be more aggressive, more decisive with the football. And, and he was, stepped up in the pocket at Ogeron City. He actually had a cut up a Drew Brees made for Miles. Drew Brees stepping up in the pocket to show him, you know, how you know, an elite-level quarterback does it. So for, for Brennan, I think the, the kid you saw, the kid, the young guy you saw week one or even right now, if you compare to what you're going to see in November, it's going to be vastly different because the, even though he's been around a while and he's got all the physical ability, 6'4", 220, big arm, everything, he still doesn't have experience. And so he's gaining that each week. And I think you will see Miles have exponential growth beginning of the season to the end. There's going to be really, really good moments, but I think you're going to see some head-scratching moments as well like you would with any quarterback who's playing for the first time. Well, he sounds like our version of uh, Chase Patton, who was behind Chase Daniel for his whole career, an Elite 11 guy. was actually a higher-ranked recruit than Daniel, but yeah, I ended up staying around his whole career because he was a local Columbia guy, Rockbridge High School. So yeah, well, hopefully, I'll be kind of rooting for Miles Brandon. I like that story. I like when guys uh, hang in there. You have a feeling on the game before we wrap up? Well, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to have any positive feelings about a Missouri victory right now. I mean, frankly, I, I just hope we can make it some kind of a competitive ball game at this point. So I don't have any real concrete predictions other than I, I just hope we can make it a game because, frankly, I thought we'd be more competitive last Saturday against Tennessee, and, and we just weren't. So long-term, again, I like the quarterback. Short-term, not a lot of, of real hope. I need to see more from the receivers, first of all, on offense. We got, we got to help out that quarterback. Yeah, there is a reason LSU is a three-touchdown favorite in the ball. Sure. Game. LSU should win and should win handily. But then again, LSU is a three-touchdown favorite against Mississippi State. So the thing right. that I would say from an LSU perspective is you're dealing with a lot of flux this week. There's a storm in the Gulf. There's a lot of people who's fan. This, it's something we don't often consider, but a lot of the kids on the team are from this area and their families are in the path of the storm. Right. And so there's a lot mentally that weighs on you as well as you're preparing for the inevitability of the storm coming ashore and what may be. Sure. Uh, LSU, the, the big question is, can you stay focused in a week that's in flux and a season that's in flux? Go on the road and do what a good to a contender should do to a team that's not a contender, which is win and win handily. That's what Alabama did when they went to Missouri. It's it's what you see contenders do. That's that's the charge for LSU this week. Is is what are you going to be? Are you going to be the team that went to Vanderbilt and won handily because that's what you are, or are you going to be the team that had a lot of missteps against Mississippi State and let a team that you should have beat you know, beat you? So. I think that's really the key for this LSU team is can you handle your business and they have an opportunity to do it on Saturday. So we'll see how it all plays out, man. John, I enjoyed it. Best to you. Uh, Good luck locked on Mizzou. Everybody make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. 